theyeshiva.net. How, how is it that, uh, that so much of the philosophy of the Hasidish community has varied away from Hasidus, it seems, from my experience, especially in like child-rearing? I mean, when I'm learning this, it seems a lot more in, in, in tune with the times, the direction that we're headed, and where we're coming from, at least, mm-hmm. in my experience. Where we, was it that you weren't learning this? I mean, You're asking a very good question. Do you have an answer? Huh? I have no idea. I mean, I feel like it's an historical question. Did that resonate? You're asking a very big question. Uh, I'm not sure I know the answer. Does anybody have anything to say about this? saying the other way, but he's actually saying the other way. Right? Does that answer your question? No. Most of the world is not committed to Hasidic ideology. You mean the direction that we're heading in. I feel like it's the opposite. Meaning like the world is heading into it. The world will become a lot more thirsty for deeper meaning and spirituality. Well, I think think that's the rebound to it. (laughs) The level of the way which we're sunk, I think. Went through the uh, all the deeper meaning was written. Yeah, like this was a few hundred years ago, right? This, well, the Baltanya was born in 1745 and he passed away 1812. So, this, was, this wasn't written for now. So, these were my marm, he would say Shabbos, Yom Tif, It was written then, all it was written during his life. It was written by the people who were there, not just for today. Of course, you could see it was written for today. The question was if that was Hasidus, that Hasidus came from, Hasidus The question he's asking is that from his observation, maybe even personal experience, in various Hasidic communities and cultures, it seems to him that the culture prevalent, at least in many Hasidic communities, veered away very profoundly from the ideas that he's learning here in these texts. These ideas seem to be... Uh, very enlightening and very contemporary and very in tuned with the with love very love oriented holistic, organic, wholesome spiritually uplifting 
and he found finds that in many cultures of Hasidic communities, there's almost nothing of this or very little of it. Huh? All of them? I said most. You want to say all? Okay. <laughs> Fine. Some still have it. You never heard of anything of this? So I'll tell you. Uh, so I'll tell you just one point. I don't know if this covers it comprehensively, but I'll just tell you one point that's I think can contribute some somewhat to this question or conversation. I don't know if you're familiar with the fact that uh, there was a big argument that raged in its times between the author of Lakuta Torah, the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya, and some of his close friends. And uh, at the time, I think, it was hard to understand his position. I think when one looks back, at least from my perspective, it seems to me that I understand a little better his position. What was the nature of that? It was a very interesting argument, a very idealistic argument. Generally speaking, uh, Kabbalah was seen as somewhat off-limits, at least to many. It's abstract, it's mystical. If you ever looked in any text of Kabbalah, like texts of the Arizal, it's code language. It's code language. You have, uh, you read his uh, Svarim on, on Chumash, or on the Siddur, or on Davening. Everything is, there's metaphors there that are very, very abstract. And the whole language is extremely... Uh, extremely enigmatic it's all about worlds and relationships and spheres and this one meets that one and the mother and the father and the brother and the sister and the daughter and the granddaughter and it's all metaphors from Eulamus and Malchus and spheres and Yehudim and so forth so you really had to know what you're doing over there then came the Baal Shem Tov, who was born in 1698 and he was the founder so to speak of the movement of Hasidus he passed away, Shavuot 1760. He was succeeded by his student, the Magad of Mizrich. He was a Rebbe for like 12 years, 13 years, and he passed away 1772, Yutas Kislev. He was succeeded. What happened then? Then it branched off. First two generations was only the Balshamtiv and the Magad. One place, one center. The Balshamtiv in Mezhebush, in the Ukraine, and the Magad in Mizrich, also in the Ukraine. Right? Yeah. Mizrich is in the Ukraine? Huh? Yes, okay. He passes away, what happens now? He has great students, great giants. He has the Balatanya, he has the Baditchevik, the Shoslevi, the Noyam Elimelech, the Rebbe Rebzushir, the Leiba I mean, tremendous Chayz uh, of Lublin, the Kajnitz Amagid, just to name a few of the. He has his own son, Rebbe Ram Hamalach, and many others, right? You'll have. Uh, Were there, huh? there 120 students here? Yeah, yeah. So. And they branch off. They go to different towns, different cities, and they create their own uh, Hasidic centers. The Balatanya himself didn't want to uh, become a leader. He went to Reb Mendel Haradaka. He wrote a sefer called Tri Haaretz, and he followed him. And then he went and made Aliyah to Eretz Yisrael. Reb Mendel Vitebsky made Aliyah, and he pressured him that he has to take over White Russia, which is Belarus, Russia. And that's when he began. To, I mean, he t- taught before also, but then he became an official Nazi, an official leader. Now, he, the Balatanya, had a debate with some of his colleagues. And the, we have it even in writing. What was the debate? It was a very interesting debate. They felt that the calling of Hasidus was to reveal 
and they were right about that, of course, because you could see it in all the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov. The calling of the Chassidus was to reveal the holiness within the Jew, the Amuna within the Jew, the pre-existing and eternal connection between the Jew and God. And as a result of that, the inspiration would be fanned. How does one reveal that in the Jew? So the main focus by them was on the Rebbe, the Tzaddik, who was really an Ishalikim, who was really a person, so to speak, who lived with the soul. They had an expression there, um, Tzaddik be'amunasay yichya. So the expression used to be, Al-Tikri yichya ela yichaya. Tzaddik be'amunasay yichaya. The Tzaddik, with his faith, will be mechaya others, he'll give others. So the big focus was, the Hasidim came to their Rebbe, and davening with him, and learning with him, and singing with him, and dancing with him, and spending time with him, and with their friends, and their colleagues, it, so to speak, uplifted them. They lived in an environment, in an atmosphere of Kedusha, of Amuna, of Tyra, of Bitochen, of Simcha. And even when they went home, they carried that connection, they carried that faith, they carried that commitment. But it was very much centered on their connection with their Rebbe. And because their Rebbe was a real worked out person, I mean, you're dealing here with Big Tzaddikim, you have Reb Nochem Chernobyler, right? Uh, you have the author of Mori Renayim. The Matula Chernobyl. I mean, yeah, yeah, really, yeah. I mean, these were very holy men. So uh, it gave them a certain sense of inspiration. And if you read all their svarim, Noyem Eli Melech, Kedushas Levi, Moir Veshemesh, Teferi Shloim, Apriya Aretz, Moir Enayim, Be'er Ma'im Chayim, Toldus Yaakov Yoyim. I'm mentioning the early svarim of the first generations of Hasidus. You'll see they're usually short vertlach, right? They'd be on the parsha. Because it was like the Tish, they would sit, they would say a vart here, a vart there, then they would write it down. So it's a paragraph, maybe two paragraphs, three paragraphs if you're lucky, sometimes a little longer, sometimes a little shorter. And that's basically the structure. Each one of these tzaddikim maybe has one book, maybe two books, usually one book that was written either by them or by their students. It's usually focused on the Parsha or Yom Tif, and it's a little vart, it's a little vart in the Parsha. Some of them are, 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 are inspiring, stimulating, challenging, morally morally uplifting. But the focus is always, Ayid is holy, uh, uh, you'll always see God loves you, uh, especially the Baditshva and all these, you know, these messages. Uh, the world is not as evil as, uh, as, as people make it. The Neshama is a chedek alekamimal. All these types of messages that came from the base Medrash of the Baal Shem Tev. But these were short vertlach. They were almost like uh, nuclear, uh, nuclear messages to stimulate, and the camaraderie, the atmosphere, the ambiance, and the connection to the tzaddikim, the discussion tzaddikim, that fueled it. Fueled the tank until you came back next time, and you tried to come back as much as possible. And they brought it back to the house. They had their shtiblach, and they had their camaraderie, and they had a certain simcha. But it was focused all on the tzaddik. The Balatanya independently veered off that path. And he veered off that path, you could see it in every one of his writings, you could see it in the Tanya, you could see it in all of his Maimarim, and it's known very well from his history. He had a different shitta. He said that this Chassidus will not survive. Because any Chassidus that's based on the charisma and the holiness of an individual will ultimately not be internalized by the Chassidim. The only way that the Balshamtiv's teachings will take root in the world is he coined his shitta Chachma Binadas. Binadas means it all has to be understood intellectually. Understood means every concept has to be explained and demonstrated and thought about and meditated and contemplated.
Yes, you have the Rebbe there as a teacher, as a source of teachings, but he's not not, not the, your source of inspiration. He's your teacher. The, the difference between a teacher and an inspirer. The teacher is the one who helps you find your inspiration. When I learned uh, once by a teacher, a big Chabad teacher, his name is Rabbi Yoel Khan. So I was once learning by him. We had a shir when I was a bacha in yeshiva. So he told us a story, a very deep story. The Maggid of Mazirch had a student. His name was Chaim Chaikel, Reb Chaim Chaikel from a city called Amdur. You ever heard of him? Reb Chaikel Amdur. Amdur. A M D U R. Aleph Mem Dalad Vavresh. In the Ukraine. They called him by Chsidim Reb Chaikel Amdur. He came from Amdur. He was a big tzaddik. He, he had a chassid who lived in a city, and his neighbor was a chassid of the Balatanya. And they used to daven together in Shul in the morning. The Balatanya demanded from all his chassidim that they should learn. That's why he doesn't have one book. He has 40 books. And his maimarim are not one paragraph, as you all know. I, I chose Nachshorah once. But the longer ones, they go pages and pages, because he spoke for hours, every Shabbos, every Yomdav. What was he doing? He was trying to explain the Yisoydis of the Baal Shem Tev, in Chachma Bina Das, explain, enlighten, people should understand, and he wanted they should meditate on it, think about it before davening, in the middle of davening, like he speaks, and it should become part of their system. He felt that you can only change people when they understand things. They don't understand. The Baditchever was completely in awe of him, so he was always on his side, even though he wasn't, he was the, he was his own man, but the Baditchever, huh? Reb Nachman also appreciated him very much, but there was a big machlaikas. The big people who were against it were the Baruch Mezhebush, the grandson of the Balshemtiv, so he had a lot of clout. The Balshemtiv's daughter, Adul, had a son, Reb Baruch Mezhebush, the Rebbe Reb Baruch, they call him, and Reb Avram Kalisker. Reb Avram Kalisker was another student of the Magad. Reb Avram Kalisker made Aliyah to Yisrael with, uh, with Reb Mendel Vitebsker. They went the first Aliyah together, Chsidim made the first Aliyah of the Chassidim, then the Talmudi Hagra made Aliyah. There was the, 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 it's early, late 1700s, there were groups of, of, of religious Jews who made, who made Aliyah to Israel. It was a very interesting, uh, a, se- a separate story. So Avram Kalisker also argued very heavily with him. He wrote a letter once to the Balatanya. He says, I saw the Tanya, and I don't like it. Why? Because it's a Sefer HaSeichel. It's a book of, of intellect. And we have a tradition that this is not good. And listen to what he writes. You understand the passion. He says there's a Pasuk. Now you have to hear, be sensitive to their spirituality. Pasuk and Emer. When the daughter of a Koyen starts doing Znus, becomes a harlot, promiscuous, she should be burnt in fire. Literally it's referring to adultery. So he says this. Koyen, it says in Zayar, is Chachma, intellect. Bas Koyen is the child of intellect. So the positive is, Bas Koyen, you know what comes from thinking? Kisei Chaliznas. You go to Znos. That's the daughter of thinking. The daughter of Koyen is, Sei Chaliznas. You know what the solution is? You got to get burnt up in fire. And I don't see that in your Sefer. I don't see Ba'esh Tisarif. We know the main thing is to make a fire... And let people be burnt up spiritually in the fire. You're not doing that. He says, I don't like your Sefer. 
So this was a very <coughs> profound and ideological debate. What is the future of Chassidus? They felt Chassidus is about passion, warmth, fire, ecstasy, dveikus. How you daven, how you learn, how you connect, how you celebrate, how you dance. These were the ideas of the Baal Shem Tev. Dveikus in Hashem, dveikus with other Jews, dveikus with the world. Optimism, confidence, positive. That, and that's what you're doing. And you are making a whole system of thought. The Balatanya responded and he explained, you don't understand. I want the fire to burn for generations. I don't want the fire to burn for 20 minutes. You put kerosene in a bonfire, it's going to be a huge flame. You put gas, you put tissues, you remember what you did in camp, newspapers. It's very good, it's a, it's a nice high. Look, wow, the fire is big. But 40 seconds later, the fire is out. Balatanya was, was now he, he didn't say this in his time. I'm now saying this. When you had around people like the Baditshev and the Kajan Samagid and Reb Nachem Shanabala and the Noyam Elimelech, the Rebbe Reb Melech and Reb Zushav Anipali, whose greatness and whose selflessness was undisputed, even those who opposed the Hasidic movement, yeah, they, they under, everyone understood you're dealing with great, great people. There was little, no narcissism, uh, almost no corruption in their personal lives, very little nepotism. You're dealing in Mamish with you were dealing with Elyon, and it was recognized that they were Kedoshe Elyon. Everybody recognized they were holy people. So then the Balatanya felt it's going to work because they could give that fire. What's going to happen in a few generations? You're not going to have such personalities. So if Hasidus is still going to be about the charisma of one man, right? And what happens if that man is a little less than, let's say? Uh, a little less than, I mean, nobody's perfect, but let's say that person has some other agendas. So what's going to be left? What may be left is a shell of the fire and not the fire. Now, we all know the worst thing than, uh, the, the, the worst thing is to have a shell of a fire. So you'll close your eyes, you may scream, Dveikas, Kedusha, Simcha, Fire, Hislavos, but nobody, nobody knows what you're talking about. They're not there. They're not internalized. So the Balatanya here really was, from his perspective, he was fighting for the soul of, of Pneumius HaTayra. And he said, if you want the fire to last, you have to put logs. Now to get logs on fire, how do you get logs on fire? <laughs> how do you get logs on fire? It doesn't take a minute. Slow and steady. Huh? Slow and steady. Slow and steady. And that's why he focused so much on learning and understanding. Now, it also helped with the fact that he was a Litvak. When he came to the Magad, they all called him the Litvak. It's funny, right? The real Chabad, the real, they, they were the ones who were made fun of as the Litvaks. Today it sounds a little funny. They called him the Litvak. He was a Lithuanian. He came from Lithuania. He had that style. And he was, an, he was an, a very analytical person. The Magad used to say about him, he says, the Litvak gloipnisht, a gloipnisht garnish bizetzelt iber. The Dalterebbe will not believe anything he says till he doesn't count himself. Now you could see how he, you could see from his Shulchan Aruch, you could see from all his farm, you could see from his Chassidus, how he thinks. So this Reb Chaikal Amdurir had a chassid, who was a neighbor of the Balatanya's chassid. They were diving together in Shul. One day, this chassid comes to the Balatanya, and he says, there's something not, there's something I don't understand. And he was very honest with it. He says, I have a neighbor. He's a chassid of your friend, Reb Chaikal Amdurir. A big tzaddik, has a different shit than you. He comes to davening in the morning, I come to davening in the morning. Now they have to understand the Ukrainian Hasidim or even the Polish Hasidim, Galtzian Hasidim, you see, even today you see remnants of it. 
that by davening it was a very special time of Islavos, right? In Karlin, for example, Karlin was another branch. Rabbi Aaron Karlin, Rabbi Shlomer Karlin, big people. Rabbi Aaron Karlin was like a giant. Over there they would scream. They still scream. We go to Karlin and Stalin, yeah? They, this was their derech. Fire, fire. Holler, holler the top of your lungs. Top of your lungs. Chabad was the other extreme. The other extreme was you almost didn't see anything because they were thinking. It was contemplation. His us. So it was not closing your eyes, lifting up your eyes. The Balatanya himself during davening and even during chassidus would sometimes roll. But already his son and the others, it was very internalized. So it was like a very different mahalach. So Reb Chaykel Amdura comes to Shul. He says to his Rebbe, to the Balatanya, he comes in, he's on fire. He's on fire. He starts davening with passion, with, with electricity, with fire. And the whole davening is so uplifting. His soul is mamish burning. Soul's on fire. Soul on fire. He says, I come, and I'm your follower. So I know from you that I have to do his burninus. I need to meditate. I need to learn. I'm not inspired. So first of all, I don't feel inspiration. And then I start thinking. I start thinking. I start missing the minion. <laughs> so that doesn't feel good anymore. And there's nothing happening until finally I get up a little fire. It takes a long time. And it's just... It seems like there's something off. He says, Ich erbrennt und ich brennisht. He's on fire. Until I get on fire, it takes so long. This is what he tells the Balatanya. And it's really a very deep accusation in a way. You know, are you doing something wrong? So the Balatanya went into a dvekas. He went into a meditation, like a trance, for a few minutes. And now he used to speak with a nigan. Even when he spoke, even when it was just regular questions and answers, he had a melody that he spoke with, which was given over tradition, a lot of questions and answers. We know the exact melody, how he said it. Babi Shireb a few times at Fabreng and said stories about him, and he said he did it with the melody that he answered. So uh, after a few minutes, he, so to speak, wakes up, and he tells this Jew, and I'm going to say it how, in the tradition, how he said it to him, how he said it over to him. He said it in Yiddish, and then I'll translate. He said to this man, he said, Er brent, chaikol brent in em, un mirvil in azmezolalein brenen. He said to Balatanya, this man is on fire. So he said, he's on fire? Chaikol is burning in him. Chaikol, who's his friend, Chaikol Amdure, who's a big tzaddik, he's burning in him. And we want that you should burn on your own. That's what he answered. What was he telling him? He was telling him that this chassid is so connected to Reb Chaikol that Reb Chaikol's fire is burning in him. It would be like I'm holding a match to your wick. So my match is on fire, so your wick is burning. So you're burning from my fire. But I want that you should burn yourself. Now to get your log on fire, you're not Reb Chaikol. Reb Chaikol was a very holy Jew. You're not. To get your log on fire... You don't have the kerosene that somebody else is spraying. So you have to work with your log. But what's the advantage? The advantage is that even when you're away from Reb Chaikel, so to speak, that the spirituality permeates your identity as an individual. Because it permeates your identity as an individual, so now it penetrates your humanness. Where do you see this clearly? How he discusses the animal soul. Yeah. Very little in literature of Hasidus is discussed about the detailed process of how to sublimate the animal soul. The Balatanya made it a major focus of his teachings. Why? Because the human being is the animal soul. The human being is the godly soul, but we function with our animal soul. 
We want to eat, we want to make money, we want respect, we want validation, we want love, we want to preserve, we want gratitude. That's the human being. If you're not going to learn to speak to your animal soul, you're not speaking to you. You're speaking to your higher reality, but you're not speaking to you. You're speaking to your Rebbe that's in you. So there is a Reb Chaikul in every Jew. There's even more than that. There's a Neshama in every Jew. So if I operate 24 hours on the level of Neshama, I'm good to go. But a person doesn't operate 24 hours on the level of Neshama. If you can even touch your Neshama, you're lucky. Right? If you can even access it. It's there. You have to access it. So he felt the only way is that your animal soul has to be brought into the game. It has to become part of the conversation. The only way you can do that is you can't tell it. You have to explain it. You have to enlighten it. For this, you have to explain what the world is. You have to explain what good and evil is. You have to explain what godliness is, what holiness is. The entire evolution. The whole structure. This was one issue. There's another issue. Today we know you could come to two types of doctors. You come to a doctor because your hand is hurting or you have a problem in your heart, a problem in your foot, and he deals with a particular aver, a particular limb, a particular organ. There's another system, and that is not something is bothering me. I come, let's say, to a nutritionist or somebody who's a mumcha, and they give me a whole hashkafa that includes the entire body. I want nutrition that will turn me into a healthy person. It's not I'm focusing on my pinky, focusing on my nose, or focusing on my eye, focusing on a headache. That's important. But the focus is not on a specific detail. The focus is on nutrition so that the whole body should be able to be put into context, understood, perceived, appreciated, respected, and nurtured. In many ways, this is also part of his shitta. He doesn't speak off, he doesn't only speak about this midda, that midda, that inya. He wants to give a whole system of thought so you should be able to understand who you are in the context of existence. All part of the same process. It should become internalized. Now, the machlaikas at some point became very, very heavy, very loaded. It was a lot of, you know, back and forth and, and some, some, uh, some uh, you know, some very harsh comments that they made about him and his shitta, they felt that it's, it's completely off. Rabbi Ram Kaliska wrote a very sharp letter. This is not the Derech of Chassidus. The Balatanya wrote back to him a letter and he said that, I really don't understand you. You know, you know that the Magid almost excommunicated you from Hasidus, and I'm the one who saved you, because what happened was, Avram Kaliske was, was a spiritual fireball. So him and his Hasidim, they would go out for davening, they would sometimes go out to the field, they were so inspired that he would hang from trees. So when the Misnagdim heard about this, they said, here, here we have Mukat Meshagayim, a bunch of nut jobs. This was very good fodder for the opponents of Hasidim. So the Magid heard about this, he was very upset, and he said he wants to cut them out of his group, because this, he can't behave this way. This happened in the year Tovkov Lamed, 17, uh, 17, uh, 1770. So by Chassidim they have an expression, Tovkov Lamed, Takal is Kintolknisht. A play on words. Tolk means it's not a seder. Takal is Kintolknisht. Now what happened, Tovkov Lamed, is, it shouldn't happen. And the Balatanya pleaded with the Magad that Avram Kalisker is doing it L'Shem Shamayim. He doesn't. And he got him back. So he says, how do you have... How do you today say that I'm not part of it when you know what happened and you know who brought you back? So they went to the Baditcheveh because he was holy by everybody. He was holy by everybody. So he wrote a letter, he says like this, I'll tell you one thing. I said, I said I'll tell you one thing. I know from our Rebbe, the Mezit Shemagid, that his favorite Talmud was the Balatani. <laughs> he says, that's what I know. And he says, Mirab an von Ein Shissel und the Litva kat genumen de Smetana. You know what that means? We all ate from one bowl, and the Litvak stole the cream. the cream on the top. You know, in camp, 
the kid who gets the first piece of yeast. That's what the Madichavah wrote. So they realized that the Madichavah himself had his own derech. He was beyond a fireball. He was Mamash HaKadosh Elyon. I told you one of the Maimorim, he finished, he said, Tzadik Hashem B'chol Durach Abotan, he said, Tzadik L'mayla is Hashem, and Tzadik L'mata is the Badichever. So this was a very profound argument. That was when the fire was burning. He is asking today when there's no other fires. Okay. So I think this is a short answer. I think this is a short, I think one vart to what you're asking, in the sense that today we live in a generation that's a very different time. There's no question during those hundred years, uh, it's interesting that the Jewish world produced in the world of the Baal Shem Tev's Beis Medrash, people who were very unique. That whole generation of maybe a hundred, hundred, hundred years, say, the Talmud HaBal Shem Tev, the Talmud HaMagid, they were, they were giants, there's no question. Um, today we obviously live in different times. And I think that maybe today <coughs> one can understand what he was talking about. Because what he was saying is, if Hasidus is only going to remain about the court, the charisma, the energy, the atmosphere, and the one individual on top, it won't really be able to endure. It's going to become a shell. It's going to become cultural more than than, uh, ideological. It's going to become more about social status than about depth. It may be more about a uniform than about character. You may be judging people by the color of their skin more than by their creed or essence or identity, to quote... Uh, content of their... Huh? Content of their character. Content of their character. In other words, it becomes basically about uh, more of a social club or who you marry or who you fit in or where you stand or where you don't stand, which may have value to a particular degree, but nonetheless, it's eroding the real message of it. And that's why he fought so hard for individual relationship. An individual relationship means it has to become it has to become part of you. And I'll just tell you one interesting thing where you may see a difference, and that is I once met somebody, I once met somebody, somebody who comes from a, a very prominent Hasidic community or court, and he learns books of Hasidus, he knows them. And he spoke to me about he said he spoke to me about a certain Jew whom we both knew. Very secular, very secular Jew, and uh, so he was speaking you know, very negatively, which I understood. I said, "I don't understand. You're funny, f- very funny to me. You know the svarim of the Talmud Habal Shem that they speak about a Jew and about Avis Israel, and you know even the stories. So how do you speak? Uh, how do you speak about this person this way?" She so tells me, "Because I know him." <laughs> And then I understood, some, I didn't say it to him, but something clicked in me. Something clicked. You could have a person sitting at Shalashuddha's Taylor, and Shalashuddha's Taylor, they'll talk about the Heilekite from Ayid, 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 Amishumah, Heilekalekamim, Ayid, Ayid, Ayid. And that Mitzvah Shabbos, you're going to meet Ayid who doesn't look like you, <laughs> and doesn't wear what you wear, doesn't behave like you, right? And you could say about him, or think about him, not even say, not things, the mamish on that level of tremendous Abba. What happened to the Shalashudas Torah? What happened? The answer, of course, is, people don't mean to be hypocritical, but the Shalashudas Torah wasn't relating to real people in real situations, relating to the concept of a yid in Olam HaTzilis. Why? The same Nekudah. 
Because if it's not spoken to in language that's integrated intellectually, it can't become integrated emotionally. Emotions, the Balatanya taught, are always based on how we think. You feel about things the way you think about things. If you don't get it intellectually, you won't get it emotionally, you won't be able to make it practical. You want me? So now here is a very interesting litmus test. I'm not sure. Why is it, people think it's a funny thing, why is it from all the Hasidim that only Chabad, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, sent out 4,000 shluchim to communities all over the world to deal 99% of the time with secular people? Why did Vishnitz not do it? Why did Satme not do it? You're laughing. Why not? Why not? In terms of business and money, they probably do better than the Ukrainian... Uh, the Ukrainian. Same, huh? the same argument that you said. Oh, so what's the... So the, the, the Lubavitcher Rebbe had this social idea of, of changing, of helping Jews. It's not that. People don't understand. Lubavitcher Rebbe was a follower of the Balatanya. Okay? So therefore, the way he used to teach was the same derech. If you leave your community and you're living in uh, Siberia or Honolulu or Alaska or even Los Angeles in the days, in the 60s, right? Or wherever it is, you go to campus, you go to Harvard University or Yale University or Brown University, Duke University. There's no Streimlach in Harvard. There's no Bekishas. Not a lot of people going to the mikveh in the morning in Harvard Divinity School. They talk about divinity, but they're not going to the mikveh anymore. Not many people putting on Rabbi Natams. You're going to a far-flung place in Asia, in Russia, wherever it is, you don't have a community. So there's no charisma of a person. There's no atmosphere. There's no ambiance. You are alone with your wife. So the question is, what's left? What's left is only you, your soul, your identity. So if Teres HaBal permeated you as a human being then you're good. Then you'll influence everybody around you. You'll make a revolution around you. But if your whole Hasidus is based on the Kehillah, the moment you pluck somebody out of the Kehillah, it's not going to work. He's going to fall apart. He's going to disintegrate. And that's what most leaders understood. You can't take a person and send them far away from everybody and expect them not to assimilate. That's what people told Lubavitch Rebbe in the 1950s. No normal Rebbe does this. It's a post-Holocaust, you build your own Kehillah. The Rebbe said that once, he says, I don't need in Crown Heights more than nine people for a minion. Everybody else, as far as I'm concerned, could leave. That's what he wanted everybody. He didn't even want there should be a minion in Crown Heights. There should be ten people in Crown Heights, so you'd be able to have a minion. And that's it. It's a funny thing. A normal person, you build around you, you build yeshivas with schools and this. You don't build 4,000 moistas that you could never visit in Thailand. Build them and you build them in your place. You have an empire. No. How do you do this? How do you take responsibility for this? So, even in the books, a lot of people don't understand that this is directly connected to the debate that the Balatanya had with his friends. It's not a bizarre... It's just the way it translates in 2000, in the 21st century. It's the same Mishtal. Uh, no, the Nekudah was that the Balatanya wanted. He felt that Torah, Yiddishkeit, and Chassidus must permeate individuals. In other words, it has to become part of who you are as a human being when you're facing in the mirror. Not about pressure, not about ambiance, not about social pressure, it's not about externalities. That all falls away when you go on your own. It's about who you are. And the only way to do that is if you understand, if you explain. I think that perhaps uh, may give at least one perspective. Where is the Oh, okay, I guess that's the Shia today. Where is the It's actually very interesting.
I don't know. There may be more answers. There may be. I don't know that this. I'm just saying one perspective that I think. It's very interesting because Revolvi had that famous thing, the reunity of the Chinuch. It's all been reminiscent of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very reminiscent of that. It's always short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, had, they, they put out a book, uh, planting and uh, planting, building, and the whole reunity. That's really where it's coming out the same idea. If it becomes part of the first. Uh, now we're looking at Markham. No, people don't realize. Mr. Destiny, I eat the food and come to cool. They don't realize what it means. It's an elegy. They don't realize. They take it for granted. It's a very sustainable. But you'll have to eat the last year. We had to make up with the food. They have the non-retrievable. I guess they should be sightless of a truck. It's a psychological makeup of a You got a shout out there. Yeah. Wouldn't they understand that uh, you need to build a clea? And that's what it sounds like. The argument was if you need a clea, you need when you're basking in radiance of holiness, they felt that Seichel dilutes it, it compromises you. Now, if you want the other side of it, okay? Chabad suffers from the other side, if you know what I mean. <laughs> if you know Lubavitch, you know they suffer exactly from the other side. The, the social norms that do very well in many kahillas don't do well over there. <laughs> so there's a tremendous mila. There's also some chesreinus. It's an interesting thing. I'm saying this... Everything comes with a price. It's not like... Uh, you get lost in intellect. You Number one, you get lost in intellect. Number two, sometimes if you're not in touch with it, all you're left with is... Okay, so we don't express things externally, so what are you left with? Sometimes you're left with nothing. You know what I mean? From, every ba- from everything, there could be psychos. From everything. If it's misunderstood, misconstrued, right... Okay, so we don't close our eyes by davening, we don't pick up our hands. Okay, so this was back it off. So, so what are you left with? You're left with nothing. We set up tables there. I'm explaining now that you know things. Everything has consequences. On the other hand, the ability to be an individual. I understand that you want to be around the table. Now it's funny because most people suspected that Lubavitch was most cultish than all other Hasidim. But as I told somebody, yeah. To have somebody live far away, you have to have somebody with personal personality usually more, especially 90% of the time you're dealing with people who disagree with you, the secular people. Right? So I think people who, uh, they didn't understand Lubavitcher Rebbe well, so they don't understand this whole concept. They thought that it was more like a joystick controlling, it, was, it had to be exact opposite. Okay, it's a whole separate show. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.